You're listening to the Skiff Podcast. Skiff's megatrends for 2024 were released at the beginning of the year, our 12th annual reporting on the trends defining the travel industry. Today, we're presenting the first episode in a series highlighting these megatrends, featuring Skiff's Editor-in-Chief Sarah Copit and Senior Hospitality Editor Sean O'Neill. They discussed the megatrend that Sean himself penned, entitled, How Hotels Will Seduce the Middle Class Traveler, where Sean explains how a growing global middle class and ample opportunity in mid-market hospitality should result in continued and increasing investment in so-called select service hotels. Sean spoke with Wyndham Chief Marketing Officer Lisa Cecchio at the Megatrends release event in New York last week, and he relays how Wyndham and other major hotel players such as Hyatt and Hilton are approaching this focus on mid-scale. Sarah and Sean also discuss other megatrends related to the growing Indian middle class, the impact of artificial intelligence, and the controversy surrounding hotel junk fees. You can read Skiff's Megatrends for 2024 right now at skiff.com megatrends. Enjoy the conversation. Each fall, as the new year approaches, the Skipped editorial team gets together and talks about the big themes of the year to come. This is tens of thousands of hours of talking to you, people in the travel industry through the year, coming up with the stories, research reports, our events, etc. And then us connecting the dots across all of those headlines. Over a period of months, we boil them down and eventually we get to this list that become our megatrends. Nature's wrath by way of climate change. The long-term opportunity that hotel groups have in appealing to the middle class. The role that travel can play in solving this crisis of loneliness that we're seeing. Corporate greed and junk fees. Is the travel industry ready for it? Has anybody thought about it? We are on a mission to help you make sense of the year to come. So here's our take on the travel sector, 2024 style. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first of Skiff's podcast series on our Megatrends 2024. This is an exciting one, our first one. I'm joined here by Sean O'Neill, our senior hospitality editor here at Skiff. Sean, how are you doing today? Very good, Sarah. How are you? Good. It's it's cold here in New York. We had our very first snow day um, here in like two years. So, you know, the city is the city is icy this morning. Very, very cool. Yes, I'm heading uh, off to LA sort of after this uh, after this podcast oh, yes. is recorded because we have a major hotel industry conference called Alice. And so uh, I'll be reporting from there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the warm weather coming up. Oh my gosh, can't wait. So, okay. So without further ado then, let's just jump in and talk about the middle class traveler. That was your, that was your mega trend this year. So why don't you first tell everybody why you think the middle class traveler is so important to the hospitality industry in 2024. Sure, Sarah. Well, the middle class is growing worldwide. Uh, demographers expect another 700 million people to join the middle class by 2030. Um, and as people enter the middle class, um, they like to travel uh, more. Um, one reason is that many people see it kind of as a status symbol. This is something that we, we don't talk about a lot in the industry, but you know you've arrived in the middle class 
uh, when you're able to go somewhere just a little bit nicer than your your sister-in-law's family, maybe. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, why you know why are hotels interested in in, in wooing the middle-class traveler? I guess, I guess I would say that was something I asked last September in New York at Skip Global Forum. Um, I asked Hilton CEO Chris Nasetta about this on stage. We're the fastest growing luxury brands on earth, you know, with Waldorf and Conrad and LXR. But well, you've heard me say publicly, and I'm happy to say it here because I know it, I am confident I will be right. The opportunity on a global basis for growth over the next 10, 20, 30 years is in the mid-market. Why is that? It's obvious. Because that's where the growth demographically is, is in the middle class. And what can middle class customers afford? Mid-market products, whether it's hotels or anything else. So when you wake up in 10 or 20 years and look at X number of millions of rooms were built over that time frame around the world, they were going to disproportionately be in the mid-market. So as Nasetta said there, you know, chasing the, the mid-market is about chasing demand. Uh, but supply is also a factor, Sarah. So, you know, so hotel supply isn't growing fast enough to keep up with uh, the demand. When you have 700 million more people joining the middle class over the next seven years, the, the level of construction of new hotels because of regulatory red tape just is not, uh, not keeping pace. Conversions of older properties into newer hotels is also not keeping pace. Uh, it's, so it's partly because of financing issues in emerging markets. Um, so, and, and we're recording this podcast here in the U S uh, and, you know, roughly, you know, two thirds of all hotels in the U S are branded by one of the major hotel groups. Uh, but if you, and only about a third of them are independently run, but you have to think about it. It's the, the, the flip of that when you're outside of the U S and mo- much of the world, two thirds or a major overwhelming majority of hotels are independently run and only a third is branded. So the, what is the opportunity? If you're a hotel group and you're trying to increase your brand, you, you know, you're saturated in the US, so you need to go abroad in order to have growth. And when you're going abroad to have growth, you've got um, what kind of supply do you have? The biggest supply that you have is these mid-tier properties. Um, they're, they're ones that are in like premium economy, premium economy up to mid-scale. And so those are that's your, your, your biggest hunting ground for being able to convert existing properties. So then you want to create mid-tier brands uh, that will appeal to those owners who want to convert. So there's there's a, a few factors there. I mean, we're talking about like 1.2 million rooms just in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa that are in the mid-scale category. And so if the hotel groups can um, uh, get con- convince a lot of them to appeal to these mid-tier travelers by adopting the, these global brands, That'll be good for everyone. So I think it's a combination of factors. That was my long-winded answer, Sarah. There's a few <laughs> things at play. You know, it's it's supply, it's yeah. demand. Yeah. So we we called our mega trend, uh, you know, the seduction of the middle class traveler. But I'm kind of curious, what does for you? What is that? What does that seduction really look like? Meaning, what are the hotels doing to appeal to that middle class traveler? Yeah. So I think. To make a generalization, I think the middle class likes clarity and value. They like the clarity of what is it that they're going to get, and they want to have a sense that it's a it's a value. Um, uh, so they like knowing, you know, that what they're going to get, what is going to be the all in cost. Um, so free Wi Fi, so that they know everyone in the family who have all their different devices are going to be able to to log on. <laughs> 
I can tell you with with my with my two kids and my husband and I would we go and that free Wi-Fi is like clutch like free Wi-Fi free breakfast there you go these are these are the two pillars of of a successful hotel stay with small children continue (laughs) do 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 they like the uh, waffle makers or yes yes (laughs) I mean I like the waffle maker let's like like, forget the kids I like the waffle maker (laughs) you know I do too there was one I forget what the name of the brand is but they have like a little conveyor belt and you can make little uh treats on I'm just like oh (laughs) my inner (laughs) exactly yeah uh, and s- swimming pools are also for some families yeah. that's another lure um yep. Yep. Uh, very very small child friendly ones so the idea is you have some amenities that are included in the rate that are going to appeal uh, but then you get rid of some of the things that are going to push the price out of reach so it's hard if you have a, a full you may not really need a, a sit down restaurant in you know for three meals a day at a hotel you're out and about so why have that added cost into the structure you might not need a fitness center for example you're not a business road warrior you're just sort of coming in and uh, uh, so you you remove some of the things that would make you a full service hotel uh, in order to try to keep the cost down so i think that's yeah. that's generally what the seduction looks like yeah. Okay. So at our Megatrend event in New York, you actually spoke with Wyndham about this. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what Lisa had to say about how this is playing out for them? Yeah, I spoke with Lisa Cecchio, who's the chief marketing officer of Wyndham. I know we're talking about this as a megatrend in 2024, but if we go back to the early days of the pioneers of hoteling, especially in the U.S., you know, it started in 1970 when Cecil B. Day created Days Inn. Right? And, and he's actually given credit to finding in the new segment that we're talking about right now, the value conscious traveler. And his mantra was find a need and fill it. And so 55 years, 54 years later, we're now talking about this as a mega trend, but this has always been something that has been ingrained in Wyndham. You know, Days in by Wyndham is one of the largest brands in the world, almost 2,000 hotels. Super 8 by Wyndham, very close, La Quinta by Wyndham. Howard Johnson by Wyndham, these are all household names that were built and tailored to this middle class, this traveling middle class. And so there really is no one who knows this class better than us. Um, And it has allowed us to actually divert from those very early days of those brands to the trends that you've actually been following these last couple of years, like all-inclusive. I think one thing that can be easy to forget for some of the younger listeners is that um, when Marriott and Hilton got their start, they were very much sort of like, it was like the upper, it was an upper experience. It wasn't uh, a mass market motel type, you know, whatever your idea, roadside uh, uh, hotel business model. Uh, And so companies, brands like Days In were sort of like the first to sort of like believe that you can actually make the economics work by appealing to the mid-tier traveler as a broad generalization. Um, and so Wyndham, uh, according to Lisa, you know, they've continued to try to build out this. And so one of their latest brands is called Ultra, which is for all travel is kind of like the concept there. It's an all inclusive resort brand. And the idea is if you're a middle class traveler, you know, it's double income household, you're busy, you got two kids and, you know, you really don't want to think about having to put together a whole vacation. You just want to have a little quick getaway. Let's have the all in price. You know that the yoga is going to be included. The alfresco dinners on the beach is going to be included. The happy hour drinks are going to be included. When you're budgeting, you can just book and go. And so that was their thinking behind um, one of their latest brands, Ultra. So I think that is kind of the pattern we've seen in other mid-market brands, mid-tier brands. Um, 
Uh, Marriott last year launched. So uh, just to make it clear, it's not just Wyndham that's sort of um, looking at this. Um, yeah. Marriott, Marriott last year launched four points expressed by Sheraton as a mid-scale brand in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Um, IHG launched Garner as a mid-scale conversion brand. Hyatt launched Hyatt Studios, which is which particularly caught my eye because it's their first time. They they have almost all their brands and all their businesses in the upscale, premium, and luxury, and so this is their first step down to the mid-tier. So even a brand like Hyatt is sort of seeing the same thing that Lisa at Wyndham was sort of pointing out uh, when she was talking with us in New York uh, last week. Yeah, so you you talked about value and obviously for the middle class traveler, I think you know, value is a no-brainer. That's probably if not, you know, number 1 <laughs> right up there with uh, one of the most <laughs> important aspects. So, loyalty points and just the loyalty programs in general kind of contribute to that value proposition. Tell us a little bit about where the hotels are with their loyalty programs as it pertains to this group. Yeah, so Lisa at Wyndham, she was as chief marketing officer there. She was saying that, uh, you know, she's pointed out that her brand, as we say, her family of brands, while they do have a little bit of luxury and a little bit of lifestyle, they are very sort of like down the middle on the mid-tier, mid-market, middle-class brands. And so they've purposely designed their loyalty program for a few things that they feel like the middle-class traveler values. Uh, And so they've kept things simple. We want our members to know exactly what they're going to get for their points. We've kept the redemption tiers to three. You can start earning points for as little as 75, free nights for as low as 7,500 points. The currency never changes. It's very, very simple. I think there's like beauty in the simplicity. We know that members belong to multiple loyalty programs. And when they're trying to pit them against each other in terms of where am I going to extract the most value, our program has always risen above the rest. Which is sort of like if you're not a, a road warrior who's putting 180,000 miles of, you know, every year, you don't, you don't need all these subtle gradations of tier classes as you go up. Um, you, if you're a family and you're just you know, traveling you know, a couple times a year in vacation, you can start in the window program, you can start redeeming free nights after only about 7,500 uh, points. Um, it's a very in- easy to understand program because the currency never expires. Um, and, you know, Wyndham, you know, has seen, you know, Skift has sort of run the numbers in the past five years. Wyndham has seen enrollments grow up like 78% over five years to 105 million. Uh, that's, that's a faster pace of growth than, you know, Marriott has had, than its rival choice has had. So they, they seem to be on to something with this formula of trying to keep things simple uh, and have a very clear, quick value proposition for for the middle class. And I think we're seeing some of the other programs, IHG, for example, retooled its loyalty program uh, a a little over the year ago. Uh, Others are also trying to do this simplification effort because that, that seems to be what's appealing for the middle class traveler. So another one of our megatrends this year was about the Indian middle class. What do you think is the mid-market opportunity for Wyndham and, and hotel groups like them in India specifically, which is just a massive, massive market? It's a massive market, and it's a fascinating question to 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 address. Uh, my colleagues, uh, Peden in particular, Peden uh, Bhutia, who's uh, based in India, she's done some really great coverage of how the different hotel groups are trying to 
tackle that market. It is the the leader locally, um, uh, Indian uh, Hotels Company Limited. They they have seen tremendous growth. They're they're just reporting just as- astonishing levels of of development pipeline for the next uh, few years. In Wyndham's case, they have roughly about thirty hotels currently in India. They're planning to triple that over the next five years. Um, Marriott just in the this month has introduced the Moxie brand in India, and Moxie is kind of like it's sort of like your starter mid tier brand. It's a um, in uh, if you if you think about it as a hotel chain scale, it's one of the most accessible brands in the Marriott portfolio, and they see introducing it in India as an opportunity. And so I think one way to think of it is you know some of these hotel groups when they've gone into some of these markets in the past, they just put in one big luxury hotel. Um, in each major city in uh, uh, in like India, and what they're now starting to do is they're trying to fill out, create a base to tap into the this rising mid tier middle middle class that's emerging, and then the the hope is that it's an escalator, and so gradually you can see the the travelers as time goes on are going to rise up the escalators and check out uh, additional new brands. So I think Sarah, that's kind of where it is on on, on India's rising middle class. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on China. Like they're the other big juggernaut, right? So, and it's a completely different analysis in China. What what are you seeing there? So China is fascinating. Um, and so, yes, it's very much, again, targeting uh, the mid-tier is where all the hotel development pipeline action is. Um, Hyatt is the comp- hotel group that has the most exposure there. <laughs> of all the hotels that they have in their pipeline coming out from now until eternity are in China. Uh, You have Hilton, uh, you know, is is planning to dramatically increase, Marriott dramatically increase their presence there. But it um, it is a tricky market because they do have their own homegrown brands. And, um, American companies have really struggled. We've seen again and again, you know, Airbnb pulled out after trying. TripAdvisor pulled out of China after trying to build something local. Um, there are very competitive. Jinjiang is a local one. H-World. Uh, uh, there are players on the ground that have a lot of advantages in trying to appeal. And I think one of these one of these X factors that I have, Sarah, you know, I mean, this is sort of like a big off, slightly off topic is, you know, I don't know how things play out if there's continued geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China. Are domestic Chinese travelers going to be like, you know, if we have a choice, why go with the American affiliated brand? Why don't we go with like a Chinese domestic mm-hmm. brand? I don't know how it's going to quite uh, play out there. But but in terms of incremental growth right now, the major hotel groups are like full speed ahead on development yeah. there. And it's very much the mid-tier, mid-tier markets thereafter. Yeah. Another one of our megatrends was on junk fees. And so, you know, we've kind of taken taken our taken our signals from the government, from the Biden administration, from various um, decisions that are coming down the pike this year. How are, so we talked about value. How are junk fees, like what what do you think is going to happen to junk fees in 2024? You know, hotels are really right in the, in the line of fire with these, you know, with these fees, resort fees, et cetera, et cetera. What um, what are you seeing? How do you think it's going to play out? How do you think it's going to affect the hotel groups, especially in the mid-market range where, you know, you've got, so this is where when, you know, 
when people go check out, you know, these are the folks that are really looking at the bill, um, you know, and making sure that their value was received. Yeah, I, I think one of I think the going back to the point that we talked about earlier, I think the the classic uh, psychology of a middle class traveler is they like to know exactly what it is they're getting. They want to want clarity of the all in price. They don't want to be lots of surprises when they get to the bottom line or when they get to paying at the bill at the end. And so, what the situation here is, particularly, it's about destination fees, resort fees. These are mandatory fees. You have you have no option on paying them. But they're not disclosed up front. So it's very hard to comparison shop when you're looking at um, different sites if you know one site doesn't disclose what the actual total price is. And so what is particularly interesting is that um, going into effect in June of this year, um, California has uh, two laws. Uh, and because one out of eight Americans lives in California, that has a big impact for the hotel groups. It, it, you, you probably have a presence there and you're probably going to have to address this issue. And that is you, California is requiring you to disclose upfront on your site and app um, the, the total fees that you get to see what the total cost is, including any mandatory fees. And so what I believe is going to happen is that hotel groups, it's just going to be simple, simpler to standardize nationwide. Why create a, something that looks different in the California market if you're viewing in California rather than just have something for everyone. And so I believe there's going to be a streamlining. There is separately... Um, the FTC just had a closing of comments on a potential uh, changes in regulations. So uh, the Biden administration is looking at whether they need to take action. Um, Hilton's CEO at Skip Global Forum called on um, the industry to sort of just adopt everyone being on the same level, level playing field. And, and just this one final point I want to make on this is Hilton CEO Chris Nassetta is quite concerned, like, well, what good is it if the hotel sites and apps adopt this new change when... The OTAs and, and more importantly, MetaSearch, um, we all have to be on the same place. It doesn't really matter if Hilton shows it the right way, but because everybody, not everybody, but a large component of the population is starting in Google to do comparison shopping. And so they're going to get, if, if there's a belief that it's misleading, they're going to get misled before they ever get anywhere near us. So my view is even playing field. If you're going to, the product is the product, and no matter where it gets distributed, it should be displayed the same way. So they would like to see a national law. So um, it is a little bit of a jump ball. I'm kind of curious which way it's going to go, Sarah. So let's let's talk a little bit also about AI. It's kind of the it's been kind of the darling of conversation on you know for business in the last year since ChatGPT and other generative AI bots have come out like really like gangbusters, you know, really kind of changing everything. Um, you know, I can definitely see one of the most compelling business cases that I've heard. It was actually from Brian Chesky describing how, you know, how they use AI to kind of help in their call centers when when something goes wrong. And, you know, even though you may think that your your issue or your problem is incredibly unique, it's not. So, there, you know, there might be <laughs> what? 
a hundred problems that people have. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and more thousands of situations that AI can run through and give, you know, the three with the best outcome. You give those to a human and then, you know, that helps them walk through. So how are how are the how are the big the big hotel chains using using this AI technology? Is it in call centers? Is it in marketing? Is it in the personalization push that we all love that we don't even kind of realize is happening, but they're really getting us with that? Um, talk to me a little bit about how that is working in 2024. Yeah, so I think there's two two fronts on that. So you mentioned like um, uh, the call centers. So Lisa Chekio at Wyndham, she was pointing out that one of the things that they're doing is they're using generative AI for training their staff uh, in their call centers. The first time you call to ask me about something is not the first time I take that call. I'm actually able now ah. to run simulations, 30, 50, 100 different simulations so that it helps me to feel more confident when I actually speak to a guest huh. of how I can solve that issue. And it helps with employee turnover. We've actually seen our retention rates go up because of those first handful of weeks and months that someone's on the job, they've now been able to go through <laughs> training and they feel good about it. You know, I, I'm, I use generative AI every day of, uh, for my job. I feel like it's a little mini so miracle. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, 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 right. You know, yeah. uh, it, it's such a tool. It's really striking after using Google for like 20 years, just how easy it has been to like slip into another habit. Um, yeah. And so I, but I think there is, I am worried that the hotel industry in general has been a little slower to adopt technology than mm. some other sectors like finance and retail. And so I worry that what we're going to end up is a customer service sort of hell where, you go into chat, you, ha you, have to, you have to go into a chat. It's a computer that gives you some answer. And there are certain situations where you're trying to get a connected room for your teenagers, you know, so that you don't, you can have a little bit of privacy and quiet, but you want to be able to keep a monitor on them. And you're trying to negotiate that with this AI chat button. It's not going to give yeah. you an answer. So uh, I'm interested to see how the implementation goes. The one other thing that you mentioned is like the personalization, which is very important. I talked with Lisa from Wyndham after we got off stage to ask her a little more about it. And one of the things she was saying is that the 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 in the marketing game, companies like Best Buy and Sephora are considered best in class at using generative AI for marketing savvy. And they will A, B test, they will send out one set of subject lines to one people, another set to other, the kind of ads that you're featured will all be tailored on the information that they have you. And what's next is video. Generative AI will be very good at the, uh, Sam Altman of OpenAI says that by the end of this year, they're gonna have video uh, ways of presenting the information. And that is going to be pretty transformative because it's a much more easier way for particularly the the middle-class traveler in order to ingest information as you see a little video of it, rather than having to read a whole block of confusing also, text. Yeah. And I mean, I just think about like, my kids are like middle school age and you know, all they do, all they do is watch TikTok and, and consume information that way. So the younger, the younger crowd, I mean, that's, they're growing up on video in, in that way, in those little short clips of how to do things. You know, and sometimes I ask my nine-year-old, you know, how did you learn how to do that? She's like, oh, TikTok. I mean, I, I don't even need to ask anymore. It's like, you know, all of that stuff. So, so yeah, that's, that is, that is super interesting. Um, so also, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, the Hilton, Hyatt, Marriott. 
how they are all really diving into the middle class, launching all these brands in the past couple of years to attract this particular audience. Is the market, do you think, getting too crowded? Is there going to be too much incoming supply? Are we heading in that direction? Can you read the tea leaves for there for us? So fortunately, I don't have to because Gift Research earlier this year published a uh, report titled Hotel Chain Scale Analysis 2023. Uh, and if you're a subscriber, you can get all the details. But the high level is that they looked at the different chain scales, as they're called. So you think about upscale as a fancier hotel than kind of hotel than like an economy uh, brand. Uh, and so there's a whole variety of gradations you go up and they analyzed and they found that the, one of the one of the biggest white space opportunities is in the mid-scale premium economy. Um, they looked at data from lodging econometrics. They looked at data from STR. They looked at financial filings from the major hotel groups. And the trend that they found is like on the supply side, um, construction starts are way below the 10-year average when it comes to hotels. Conversions have been below the historical average, meaning properties that are moving from one brand to another or, or moving from like office space and being converted into a hotel, that's also behind. So the supply is not keeping up with the demand. The demand is above um, mm. the average for hotels when you come to these mid-tier properties. So yes, we've, we have seen, as you say, Sarah, a flurry of new brand launches uh, in the mid-tier segment uh, in the past year and a half. But, um, you know, it skips research judgment is that there's more demand than supply and it's it's going to be fine through, you know, 2030 or so. Good news for the hotel son. Sean mm -hmm. O'Neill, thank you so <laughs> much for sharing your thoughts today on our Megatrends 2024. Thank you all for listening today. Uh, we are going to say goodbye there. If you want to read our Megatrends, please check it out online, skip.com backslash Megatrends. And this was only the first of a series of podcasts with our authors and writers. So please come back, stick around. They'll pop every week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sarah. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.